Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Well, gold finally traded above $1,300 an ounce this morning. It was the first time since January of 2015 that the price of gold traded above $1,300. The high I saw was about $1,302. Maybe it got a little higher when I wasn't looking. But by the time the U.S. stock market opened, the price of gold started to sell off, and it couldn't hold $1,300. In fact, we ended up negative on the day. We closed about $1,291. And when gold failed to hold $1,300, you got a lot of selling in the gold stocks. And in fact, the gold stocks were way up in the pre-market. I saw some gold stocks trading up as high as 7%. Many were up 2 or 3% before the open. Some of them still managed to open with some pretty big gains, uh, new 52-week highs, new multi-year highs. Uh, but then the selling commenced. And gold stocks went down, silver stocks went down. The GDX ended up down about 1.7% on the day. Not a very big move, but I'm sure there's going to be some people out there that are going to say, oh, you see, it's the high, it's a reversal. You know, the stocks opened higher, closed lower. We couldn't hold 1,300. Look, we didn't hold 1,200 either the first time we got above it. We peaked above it and we got down. But then the next time we got above 1,200, we went to 1,260 that day. Uh, so I think something similar might happen again with 1300. Uh, I so I I wouldn't get too excited about this decline if I was a bear. In fact, if anything, I, if I was a bear, I would cover right. I would I would be buying back. And I think if there's any anybody out there who's smart, they're going to be buying this dip. I'm not thinking that there's going to be much more behind it, especially when you look at the weakness in the U.S. dollar, which continued today. In fact, the dollar index traded down to about 92.50. This is the first time again since January of 2015 that the dollar index has been below 93. And in fact, the euro is above 115. That too, I think, is the first time since January of 2015 that the euro has been that strong. But the dollar is weak across the board, and it's going to continue to get weak, especially if we keep getting the weak data points like the data that came out today. We got the PMI manufacturing index for April. 
uh, came in not that much lower than consensus, which was 51. We came in at 50.8, but it's still down and it's still below the 51.5 from March, which wasn't very strong. But obviously the direction is is wrong. And if you look at the ISM manufacturing index, this is also an April number. They were looking for 51.5, which would have been a decline from the March 51.8. And we did get a decline, but it was a larger decline. We went down to 50.8. So we went down a full point as opposed to just 0.3, which was the consensus. So again, two numbers that were weaker than expected, showing the economy continues to weaken in the second quarter. It is not rebounding in the second quarter. We're going to get more important economic data later out in the week, culminating with the non-farm payroll number that we're going to get on Friday. Because remember, we get that the first Friday of every month. And the first Friday of the month of April is this week. And again, they're looking for another 200,000 jobs to be created. They're looking for the unemployment rate to tick back down to 4.9 from 5%. And they're looking for an increase in average hourly earnings of 0.3%. So we'll see what happens. Again, if we get a strong number, it's only because nobody's looking beneath the surface at the fact that they're all part-time jobs. But we'll see. Because one of these days, we're going to print a weak number, and that's going to be it. Because the only thing that people have going for them are these strong jobs numbers, which are only superficially strong. And there's still people who are clinging to the idea that we're going to get a rebound in the second quarter when there's absolutely no indication to expect that to happen. And the currency markets obviously don't think that's going to happen with the dollar trading as weak as it is. In fact, I saw some people on CNBC that were saying, well, the reason the price of gold is rising is because we have a weak dollar. That's not actually the case. The price of gold is rising for the same reason that the dollar is going down. It's not that the weak dollar is causing strong gold. Both the dollar and gold are moving for the same reasons, and that is because we are unwinding these bullish bets on the U.S. economy, the idea that we're going to have this divergent monetary policy where the U.S. is the only central bank tightening and everybody else is easing because we've got all this great economic growth. Now people are starting to realize that we don't have great economic growth and the Fed can't raise interest rates, which is something I've been saying all along. You know, all the people that are out there that want to talk about how Peter Schiff was wrong, and I read all this stuff on the internet about how wrong I am and how I've got the worst track record of anybody. And obviously, people who are writing this stuff have no idea about the things that I've been writing about and talking about. They just want to try to discredit me. But whenever they point to what I'm wrong about, they'll say, oh, Peter Schiff said the dollar would go down. And look, it went up. Peter said the price of gold would go up, and, and it went down. Peter said interest rates would go up, and, and, and they went down. And he said the stock market would crash, and it went up. Like, I'm wrong about everything. Well, first of all, I didn't say the stock market would crash. I said that if the Fed actually raised interest rates the way they're pretending, and if they actually shrank their balance sheet the way they're pretending, then the stock market would crash. But because I don't think the Fed will do that, I have never called for a stock market crash. All I've said is that the Federal Reserve will prevent the market from crashing. That's why I don't have any short products. I'm not telling people to go out and short uh, the U.S. stock market because I don't believe the Federal Reserve will let it crash. They should, but they won't. But people just assume that I'm bearish on the stock market because I'm, I'm a bear. I am a bear, but because I believe the Fed is going to print a lot of money, my bearishness is focused on the dollar 
not the stock market. In fact, I tell people that if it's a choice between owning U.S. bonds and owning U.S. stocks, I'd choose U.S. stocks. I think people will lose more money in the bond market than they will in the stock market. But fortunately, the world's a big place. And that isn't my choice because I choose neither. I, there are other assets I'd much rather own than either U.S. stocks or bonds. But most American investors, they feel that's their only choice. And if that's your only choice, I'd rather be in equities because I think the Fed is going to print a lot of money. But of course, my bond prediction that the price of bonds are going to collapse and interest rates are going to go up, that is an end game prediction. I'd never say, hey, tomorrow, I never tell people, hey, go out and short bond futures because the price of bonds is about to collapse. Interest rates are going to go up. No, that's going to be the final thing that happens after everything else comes true. Eventually, yes, the Fed will lose control of the dollar. They'll lose control of the bond market and interest rates will go up. But in the short run, I don't think that's happening. I think the Fed's going to keep interest rates as low as they can for as long as they can. So people who are trying to discredit me by talking about the fact that, oh, Peter Schiff said interest rates are going to go up, they will eventually. But I've always said that the Fed is going to try to keep interest rates at zero. I'm the guy that says they're not going to raise rates. So how does that sound like I'm saying rates are going to go up? Eventually, long-term rates are going to skyrocket. Eventually, but I don't know when. Also, the dollar. Yes, the dollar had been rising up until this year when it's falling. But of course, my critics don't want to get give me any credit for getting it right, right? Because everybody was saying the dollar was going to rise in 2016. I was one of the only people saying it would fall. And so far, it's off to a very, very bad start. Uh, but it was rising up until this year, right? And the price of gold was falling up until this year. But that doesn't make me wrong. The reason that the dollar was going up was because everybody else was wrong. Because everybody else believed that we had a real recovery and they believed that the Fed was going to be able to raise interest rates. And so based on those two false beliefs, they bought the dollar. But because everybody else shared in those false beliefs, everybody bought the dollar. The people who believed in this phony recovery outnumbered the people like me that knew it was phony. And so because you had so many people who were wrong, all the wrong people were buying the dollar. And as the dollar went up, that gave them more money to pyramid up their trades and buy even more dollars. And, and so it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, just like any bubble, right? The people that bet on it initially make a lot of money until they lose all their money. All the people that thought these dot-coms were going to be so valuable in the late 1990s, they kept buying them. And as they went up, they had more equity. They could borrow. They could buy more. And of course, when you buy something and it goes up, you think you're right. And other people think you're right. So they follow your example and they buy too, right? So all the people who were buying the dollar were doing it because they were wrong. Yet people wanted to say, oh, Peter Schiff is wrong because the dollar is going up. What people didn't look at is what was I actually saying? What I was saying that would cause the dollar to go down, all that stuff was happening. So if you look at all the things I've been saying about the economy and writing about the economy for the past few years, all the stuff is coming true. I've been 100% right on how I thought the economy would not respond the way everybody believed to the Fed stimulus, that we would not have a sustainable recovery, that we would not reach escape velocity, that the Fed would not be able to raise interest rates. All that stuff has happened. And I knew that since all that stuff was going to happen, the dollar would go down. But it hasn't it hadn't gone down yet. That didn't make me wrong. Look, I was talking about the housing bubble in 2002 and 2003. And I was writing extensively about it online in 2004 and 2005. Yet all my critics who said I was wrong, there was no housing bubble, they used the rising housing prices to prove I was wrong. 
That didn't prove I was wrong. That just proved that there was a bubble. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The fact that the bubble got bigger didn't mean my forecast that the bubble would pop was wrong. It just got bigger than I thought, although I never placed a date on when I said the housing market would collapse. I just said that it would. I knew it was a bubble. So the same thing is happening now. And all the people for the last several years who have been criticizing me because the dollar has been rising, because gold has been falling, and they are saying, ha-ha, the market is proving Peter Schiff wrong. No, it wasn't. The market wasn't proving me wrong. If anything, it was probably validating what I was saying because the bubbles that I had identified were getting bigger and bigger. But once these bubbles pop, once all the people that have been buying the dollar and selling gold figure out that they bought into a false paradigm, just like the people who bought the dot-coms or the subprime mortgages, the market's going to implode. Then the dollar's going to tank. Then gold's going to take off. Right? Then all the people who are criticizing me are going to look as foolish as all the people who are criticizing me on the Peter Schiff was right video because they still don't understand. In the short run, it's all about what people think, not about reality. And if everybody is wrong, then the markets are going to reflect that. And ultimately, though, reality is going to cause the markets to change. Assets will be repriced, not based on what people thought was going to happen, but based on what actually happened. It happened with the subprime mortgages. They got repriced to zero. It happened with a lot of these dot-com stocks. They got repriced to zero. At one point, a lot of them had billion-dollar market caps just because people expected them to be very profitable. Those expectations were wrong. And when people figured it out, the stocks collapsed and they went to zero. Now, these companies were worthless the entire time. They were worthless when people were paying these inflated prices. They just didn't know they were worthless because they had all kinds of expectations that weren't real. Same thing with these subprime mortgages. The minute they were issued, they were worthless. I knew there was no way the borrower was going to pay it back. But a lot of the people at the time who were in on this bubble, didn't know it was a housing bubble, they actually believed that these borrowers on these liars loans with no down payments were actually good for the money. Of course they weren't, but they believed it. And because they believed it, the bonds had value until they figured out that the borrowers no good and that the bonds had no value. So it's the same thing. And the markets are just starting to validate what I've been saying because the dollar is just starting to break down. Technically, it doesn't have very much support here. I see a, a acceleration of the weakness in the dollar. I see an acceleration in the strength of gold. We only have a few more months, I think, before the data is so overwhelmingly negative that the Federal Reserve has uh, you know, no choice but to acknowledge it and confirm what the markets are already telling you, that there are no more rate hikes, uh, that in fact we're having a rate cut and we're getting QE and maybe negative rates. And the only wild card is the election. And will they want to admit this before the election or will they try to hold off until after the election when hopefully, as far as the Fed's concerned, Hillary Clinton is our next president? But, you know, I don't know how good the odds are. I think Donald Trump has a much better chance than the odds makers are saying of beating Hillary Clinton because this economy is going to get worse and worse and worse. And the worse the economy is, uh, the more votes Trump's going to get because Hillary is part of the establishment. She's a continuation of Obama. And um, and Trump represents the real hope and change uh, that Obama uh, didn't deliver. Now, Trump might not deliver it either. And again, a lot of the things that he's saying is not what we actually need or what's going to turn the situation around. But at least what he's saying seems genu genuine and it seems different. And he's certainly different. He's about as different as a candidate as we've ever had. And so if there's some kind of hope for change, certainly seems like Donald Trump could be an agent to deliver that change. After all, 
we didn't get any change at all uh, from uh, Barack Obama. But, you know, I wanted to talk on this podcast about Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is in the news again because they're now defaulting on a major debt payment that was due today. And so there's a lot of articles written about it. And of course, Congress has been in a lot of pressure to do something. But the hedge funds, which have given a lot of money to candidates and are spending lots of money on these ridiculous ads that I see all the time on CNBC about opposing the bailout for Puerto Rico, what Congress is talking about is not a bailout. What's going to happen is if they don't get the ability to restructure their debt, which they should have, legislatively, Congress took away the right of uh, Puerto Rico's you know, equivalent of municipalities to go through a bankruptcy, just like other cities in the United States can, like Detroit can. Uh, Puerto Rico can't do it because Congress took away that right. If they don't have that right back, if they're not allowed to restructure their debts, then they will need a bailout. It, what, what the people who are running all these commercials, these hedge funds that are paying for all these commercials and they're saying oppose the bailout, the irony of it is they want the bailout because the bailout money will go to the hedge funds. That's what the bailout money will be used to do is to repay the bonds. If Puerto Rico's are out to be restructured, they won't need a bailout because the hedge funds are going to be the ones that lose. They're trying to make it out like it's these mom and pops who are going to be the losers. No, no, no. It's all these wealthy hedge funds that are going to lose out. But they need to lose out because they never should have bought these bonds. You know, that is the problem. People want it's It's heads I win, tails you lose capitalism, which is not capitalism. Look, you buy bonds from an overly indebted uh, issuer, there's a good chance you're not going to get your money back. And when you don't get your money back, you don't go to Congress for a bailout. You just accept the fact that you gambled and you lost. And that's what these hedge funds did by buying this Puerto Rican debt. But of course, you know, the reason that Puerto Rico has so much debt, Puerto Rico is a perfect example of how big government and easy money can destroy an economy because that's what they did to Puerto Rico. Yes, sure. Initially, when Congress repealed the tax breaks that a lot of these pharmaceutical companies enjoyed down there, a lot of other companies, you know, they plunged the, the, uh, the country into a recession. But what really got them into so much debt was the Federal Reserve and the tax code. What happened? Well, Congress made Puerto Rican debt tax-free, triple tax-free, no federal, no state, no local taxes in every state in the union. All 50 states, no matter where you live, if you live in a high tax state, you buy these Puerto Rican bonds, you got zero tax. So what happened was all these muni bond funds bought up Puerto Rican bonds to put them in their portfolio. They didn't even have to really disclose that they owned them. And, you know, as long as you don't, as long as it's not the majority of your fund, you can be a New York tax free fund and you can have 10, 15 percent of your New York tax free fund in Puerto Rican bonds. And it's still, you know, tax free to New Yorkers. But they they put some. uh Puerto Rican debt in there to goose the yield because the debt in Puerto Rico had a higher coupon than the local debt. Why? Because there was more risk. But no one cares about the risk. They just want the return. They just want the money up front. They don't care about the risk they're taking in the long term. But a lot of, of course, Americans who own these bonds have no idea that their mutual funds bought the bonds. The problem was with the fund managers putting this toxic junk in these portfolios in the first place because, you know, what do they care? It's not their money. They're just trying to get the highest current yield possible. They don't care about the risk. So you had this tremendous demand. That's the moral hazard. You have all this demand. Everybody wants Puerto Rican debt. Well, that means the Puerto Rican government has to go into debt, right, to create the bonds that all these funds want to buy, which is perfect for politicians. 
because politicians want to bribe the voters. And see, in Puerto Rico, it's even worse because the biggest employer in Puerto Rico is the government of Puerto Rico. And but the Puerto Rican employees also vote for their bosses, right? They go to the polls and they elect their bosses. Well, if your workers are going to vote to elect you, how do you get the vote of your workers? Give them a raise. So Puerto Rican government is able to give out all kinds of money uh, to Puerto Rican workers so that those Puerto Rican workers will vote them back into office. And they don't have to raise taxes and, and annoy the other Puerto Rican voters who don't work for government because they just borrow the money. And, of course, so many people think borrowed money has no cost because, well, you know, it's borrowed money. We don't have to pay it. Just have to pay the interest. And for a while, the interest is still low because it is triple tax free. So because when interest is tax free, you don't have to pay as much because the buyer gets the after tax yield. So this was perfect for Puerto Rican politicians. They had a great way to be Santa Claus, to promise all sorts of goodies to government employees in exchange for their votes. And they borrowed all this money, which all these funds were eager uh, to load up on. But the hedge funds only got in recently. What happened was when the bond funds basically said, you know what, this is too risky, Puerto Rico, let's take our lumps, let's sell, right? That's when the hedge funds, these vulture funds started coming in and they started buying these bonds. They didn't pay par. They paid 70 cents on the dollar, 80 cents on the dollar. And now they want par. No, 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 no. (laughs) They're going to get a big haircut. They're going to get a bigger haircut than the original owners. But this is the problem. We created this. And to make it worse, when the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates to zero, that only increased the desire to get yield. Everybody wanted yield. And Puerto Rico had what everybody wanted, triple tax free. So this was a perfect uh, uh, storm of government. And then, of course, what happened in government was socialism in Puerto Rico, big government, some of it imposed by Puerto Rico itself, but a lot of it imposed upon them by the U.S. mainland. The minimum wage law, all you guys that want $15 an hour minimum wage, Puerto Rico's had that for years on a you know equivalent basis because the per capita income in Puerto Rico is basically half, less than half of what it is in the United States. So a $7.25 minimum wage in Puerto Rico is like a $15 minimum wage. So they've had it for years, and that's why hardly anybody in Puerto Rico has a job because you can't get jobs because the minimum wage is too high. And then, of course, we crippled them with the Jones Act, which makes it so expensive to ship goods in and out of Puerto Rico. That requires the Puerto Ricans to have goods travel on U.S. flagged ships, which costs a fortune. No one else in the Caribbean has to pay that kind of freight. So that means everything in Puerto Rico costs so much more than it costs on any other Caribbean island. Not only does that make it harder for the Puerto Rican residents to live because everything is expensive, but think about Puerto Rico in terms of a tourist destination. You know, Puerto Rico has a tiny percentage of its GDP from tourism. I mean, the lowest of any island in the Caribbean. I forget what it is. Maybe it's around 3% or something. It is tiny. Puerto Rico should be the biggest tourist destination in the Caribbean. Why? You don't need a passport. You can can just go there with a driver's license. It speaks English. The dollar is the legal tender. It's so it's it's very close. You have a lot of flights going back and forth to Puerto Rico. When you go to other Caribbean islands, a lot of times you have to transfer through Puerto Rico or some other major hub. And then, of course, you got to wait in long lines because you got to have your passport and all that. Uh, your cell phone, when you go to Puerto Rico with a U.S. cell phone, it's not even roaming. It's it's free. You're, you don't even have to pay extra for text messages or data. It's just like being in the United States. So you should have middle class Americans flocking to Puerto Rico for vacation. Why aren't they going there? 
Why do they go to other islands? And it's not because, oh, you know, people think it's a, it's like a gang from like a West Side story that people don't want to go. It is a beautiful island. You know, it's got some of the nicest beaches. They've got great surfing. They got the best surfing in the Caribbean in Puerto Rico. Most Caribbean islands, you can't even surf. There is fantastic surfing in Puerto Rico. And it's big. They've got a city. They got stuff going on. They got a nightlife. They've got a rainforest. And there's a lot to do in Puerto Rico compared to other Caribbean islands. Why doesn't Puerto Rico have a bigger tourist industry? And it's because of the minimum wage law and the Jones Act. What does that mean? That means that if you're running a hotel in Puerto Rico, number one, you've got to pay extremely high prices for labor relative to other Caribbean islands. You got to pay more for, you know, the chambermaids, you got to pay more uh, for the people that cook the meals or just the people that, you know, that, that, that hand out towels at the cabanas, whatever it is. You have a lot of people that work at a hotel and they all collect money. Well, to hire these people at Puerto Rico, it's a lot more expensive than hiring them in some other uh, Caribbean island. Also, all the products that they have to import, whether it's the bath products, right, the, you know, the shampoos, uh, you know, the soaps, or they have to bring in, you know, food that has to import or just material, whatever they have to bring in is so much more expensive because the shipping costs are through the roof because of the Jones Act. These other Caribbean nations don't have to bring stuff in in American flagships. They can use the cheapest ships around. We're stuck with the, with the highest cost ships around. So Puerto Rico can't compete for the budget traveler. So when people are looking for a low-cost Caribbean uh, vacation, Puerto Rico just can't compete. So we've destroyed it. We've forced Americans, instead of visiting a U.S. territory where the American citizens can have a job, we're basically forcing them to go to another island where some foreigner gets that business. That America did this. U.S. Congress did this to Puerto Rico. And we, you know, we want to act like this is, you know, it has nothing to do with the minimum wage or the Jones Act. It's got everything to do with that. And this is a perfect microcosm of it, what's wrong with America on the mainland. And, you know, the irony of it all, and I said this before, as broke as Puerto Rico is, America is actually more broke. On a per capita basis, even if you adjust it for relative incomes, we are more heavily in debt than Puerto Rico. The difference is our creditors don't care. Well, you know what? A few years ago, Puerto Rico's creditors, they didn't care either. They were just as broke a few years ago as they are today. They couldn't repay their debts a few years ago. It's just that no one cared that they couldn't repay so they can keep borrowing. It's only until your creditors finally wake up that you're in trouble. Well, does that does that mean America's creditors are never going to wake up? Of course they are. We're going to be facing the same problem. Now, the difference is, well, we can just run the printing presses. Puerto Rico, they don't have their own independent Federal Reserve. They can't print up their own Puerto Rican dollars. They've got to use the ones that we create. And we're not we're not doing a special QE program for Puerto Rico. Of course, we could do that, right? That their problems would be solved, right? But if America is going to say, okay, well, no one wants to loan us money anymore. We're just going to monetize all the debt. We're just going to print all the money. Well, then the dollar is going to collapse, and then it's not going to matter because we're going to be stuck because it's going to be massive inflation. It's going to be runaway inflation. And so the fact that you know we haven't defaulted on our bonds isn't going to matter because the bonds are going to be worth anything anyway. But we are in the same predicament, only worse than Puerto Rico. But the bottom line is to solve the problem in Puerto Rico, not only do we need to allow... Puerto Rico to restructure this debt, 
because there's no way the Puerto Ricans can repay it. And it's not fair to expect them to repay it because they're idiot uh, politicians who they were dumb enough to elect uh, got them into so much debt. But the, the lenders, they share in the blame. You know, you lend money to an overly indebted country that's promising basically to enslave the populace in order to repay you. You don't deserve to get your money back. If you were dumb enough to lend the money, well, then you're going to lose it. Now, I recognize a lot of Americans didn't even know they own these bonds. But, you know, that's your advisor's fault. Get a better advisor. Fire your advisor. He didn't tell you had Puerto Rican bonds in your fund. Do your homework. There's no guarantees when you invest. So even if you accidentally buy something that has these Puerto Rican bonds, you've got to bear the consequences. Hey, that's, you know, nothing is guaranteed. It's not a sure thing. That's why you got the higher yield, because you took a risk. So A, we got to let these the country restructure. It's not a bailout. A bailout is what happens if Congress does nothing and then the country completely collapses and then we have to write a federal check. And unfortunately, if there is a bailout, they're probably going to siphon all that money to the hedge funds that own the bonds. So I don't want any bailout for Puerto Rico. I don't want a bailout for the creditors either. I want government to get out of the way to repeal that law that they passed that said that they can avail themselves of bankruptcy. Let Puerto Rico go through a restructuring, through a bankruptcy. Let them work out a deal with the creditors so they can pay something that isn't an undue hardship on the people who are living in Puerto Rico so you can still have an economy that works because it can't work with all this debt. You take away a lot of the debt, the economy in Puerto Rico can work, especially if we get rid of the minimum wage and let Puerto Rico set its own minimum wage, not have to abide by the federal minimum wage, let them set their own minimum wage and get rid of that ridiculous Jones Act that is only in there for the labor unions. Take away those two things and Puerto Rico will thrive. In fact, Given the new, uh, you know, Act 20 and Act 22 that they that they passed, which allows uh, people to move to the island and, and operate businesses uh, in a very, very low tax environment, Puerto Rico can actually boom. Puerto Rico could be the most prosperous, uh, could be more prosperous than any U.S. state. And now, you know, what's going on in, in Cuba now, opening up Cuba? I mean, Puerto Rico is probably better positioned than any island in the Caribbean to benefit uh, from increased uh, tourism involving Cuba. But Congress needs to get out of the way. It's not we don't need more government in Puerto Rico. We need a lot less government. And the only thing standing in the way of less government in Puerto Rico is probably the U.S. Congress and the hedge funds uh, that have bought up all these bonds. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. 
Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold videocast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth in Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make TruthinMedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit TruthinMedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access to Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.